calling all podcasters, musicians, vloggers, and reporters, and everyone else who wants crystal clear recording that's super portable. The Shure Motive family of microphones makes studio quality audio that's as simple as plug and play. Many of the world's top podcasters rely on Shure, and with a Motive line of iOS and USB microphones, portability is now your friend. Imagine being able to get great audio quickly and easily from your phone, tablet, or computer. Simply visit Shure.com slash Motive to start getting great audio for your content now. That's S-H-U-R-E dot com forward slash M-O-T-I-V. Hello and welcome. We are back. It's your Man G Madrid podcast, and it's the start of the season, folks. This is your host, Gabe Lezra. I'm joined by uh, Keon Sobani. Keon, I know you're tired. Thank you for joining us tonight. Um, and Om Arvin. Hi, guys. Hello. Hope you guys enjoyed the game. Great game. Yeah, I, I, I enjoyed that game a lot. Um, it was... I don't know. There was mixed reactions on social media, but for me, it was it was very pleasing to look at. And given that I'd gone in with somewhat muted expectations, given it's a new team and all that, I was quite impressed with our performance. Yeah, me too. There were mixed reactions to this game. I thought there was basically only good things in this game. That's surprising. Uh, I, what were they saying? I think no. I think I think the 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 reactions after the game were fine. Um, before the game, there was a lot of uh, panic about the fact that Lopetegui rested Modric and Casemiro and oh, yeah. uh, Varane, which, by the way, very logical explanations for all of them. Modric and Varane played deep into the World Cup. Uh, Varane played uh, extra time in the Super Cup and didn't have his best game. And also, Modric uh, is also still getting integrated into the team after having a. Uh, a long summer, and he's a bit older, so it's natural that he's going to come off the bench. Casemiro had a niggling injury, um, but so definitely couldn't play the full 90. And then at halftime, um, when I was doing my live video, I was expecting you know people to be like, oh, this is really exciting, like good sound performance. Um, <clears throat> and a lot of it was just like, this is not Real Madrid, we're not impressed, and East Coast shit, blah, blah, blah. What? Comments after the game were fine. I think I think everybody was happy with the win. I was I was happy with the performance. It wasn't like we created a bunch of things in the final third, but at no point did I feel threatened by Hatafe, which I think is a good sign because this is, by the way, a team that was one of the revelations of La Liga last year. They had a very good defensive record. They've added good pieces this year. They're an organized side, and I thought they also looked uh, decently organized in this game, and Real Madrid's buildup was just really good. I thought definitely it was encouraging. The clean sheet was good. Defending overall was good with the different methods that Lopetegui kind of presented in this game. I thought it was fine. I th- yeah, I go ahead, dude. I'm. I just. I. I want to quickly say I am shocked that you could have a problem with that first half. It was really good, and Madrid defended well. They played really well in office. At one point, they had like eighty-five percent possession. I don't know what these people want. Yeah. I agree with that. Um, I also, to, to Keon's point about Hetafe being um, actually a pretty good team is something I wanted to mention as well because I think that's part of it, right? I think um, I was talking to to a guy on Twitter, um, a guy who essentially like watches like 15 games every single day as a living and mostly does it in La Liga because he bets on these games. And he was telling me before the match started that this isn't the Hetafe we grew up with. And this Hetafe got really season eight 
Aliyah. Um, and we, we we saw that kind of today. They were very organized defensively. Um, they they weren't they weren't really giving us many easy chances. I think we got kind of lucky with the goalkeeper on on Carvalho's first goal. But otherwise, it, it was a fairly good side. I mean, I I'm I found it questionable that I think Jorge Molina was starting, given that um, Angel had the better goal scoring record last last season, and then they also picked up two forwards from the Segunda Division, um, who, who who like scored like 20, 30 goals. The both of them. Um, I think it's fair that that they weren't started, but I I expected to see Angel in, ahead of their uh, ahead of Jorge Molina. I think that might have hurt them a little bit, but <clears throat> otherwise, I think we did really really good against a good side for the first La Liga game of the season. Um, there there was a lot of good tactical things to talk about uh, from from Lopetegui and then the team's performance. Well, let's get into that then, dude, because I, I would also me- uh, mention that Madrid hit the post, obvious posts, not like glancing shots, like smacked off the post twice in this match. So that's the kind of, you know, uh, coin flip luck that, uh, you know, Madrid wasn't getting lucky last season with that. They continue their streak of not getting lucky with it this time, but it didn't, ha- it didn't hurt in this match. But those two post shots, if either of them were only a few inches uh, different, they would have gone in, and that would have been a totally, not totally different game because Madrid still dominated, but, you know, that's just even more padding on the score sheet. And it wasn't just those two. There were other shots that Madrid were only inches away from putting on goal. So it... it on top of the, I mean, obviously the result, sorry, everybody, was 2 nothing to Real Madrid. And, like, on top of that 2 nothing win, it actually, to me, felt even more convincing than just 2 nothing. It felt like the game had the the energy and Madrid play with, played with the confidence of a team that was going to win that match 3 or 4 nothing. Yeah, I think that's a good way of putting it because um, one thing uh, about this particular Real Madrid side, from minute 1 to 90... It was consistently good. I mean, I think there was there was a slight drop off in the second half, um, yeah, and maybe a bit of complacency kicking in the sense that we kind of just coasted through the second half because it was comfortable. But at no point, even during that stretch, and even when Ivan Alejo came on, who who had a good game off the bench, and I'm surprised he didn't start along with Angel, to be honest, because Alejo was also one of the revelations of La Liga last season with Abar. Um, apart from that there wasn't really much Real Madrid needed to worry about. And what I liked about this is that even though, uh, and I, you know, Gabe mentioned the couple shots off the post and stuff, like even though this game was was not huge on the XG chart and there wasn't a lot of like clear-cut chances where it was like, you to the beginning of last season where it was like the opposite. We, we, we had like just dramatically underperforming our XG. Um, this is like a very, very welcome set because not only was it efficient, not only did Bale look sharp and, and kind of look like mentally unchained and uh, with a burden maybe off his shoulders because he didn't have the weight of playing with Ronaldo. And um, I think he fed a lot of goals to Ronaldo, but I also felt like he felt just a bit free today, um, yeah. which was nice to see. Um, it also just looked good because there was just control. Like even though we didn't generate chance after chance, there was control and in a team that had a lot of defensive issues last season, um, we had a, a bunch of brain farts against Atleti in the Super Cup. One of the ways to mask just not being good in transition defense and having these issues is just hold the ball and counterpress. Like, really, that there is no better way to defend if you think about it. Like, even a couple of the players 
who I thought didn't have the best games offensively with the ball. One of them was Ceballos, although he was better in the second half. He scored too, I thought. And, and he scored But with Ceballos, it looked like he lost the ball a couple of times. Immediately when he lost it, yeah. he's hounding yeah. and retaining possession. Isco, in the absence of a natural or traditional defensive midfielder, uh, on his own sprinted back to stop a couple of counters for yep. Katafe. So, like, all of that stuff was encouraging to me. And um, it's hard for me, even, like, someone like Ceballos, like, a lot of people, like, criticize him and stuff. And um, just some un, uh, just uh, unacceptable comments about him that I even saw on Twitter um, throughout the game, but especially before the game. Really, keep man? In mind, Damn, but keep in mind, this is also a player. Forget that he's young, okay? Forget, forget that part. He's a player who didn't play at all last season. So also, you have to give him a leash and some patience with him as he gets integrated. Because for a player who just did not play and now he's coming in and he's starting like a, a couple games in a row and he's going to play a lot, just let him kind of play through it and get back into a rhythm, you know? He had one of the coolest passes I've seen out of Real Madrid in such a long time in this match where he um, had that the ball was looping high in the air and he had a one touch out of the air through ball that put one of I don't remember exactly who I have it on my notes beautiful Ceballos pass <laughs> but I remember that he, he like it was one touch looping out of the air putting someone through with the perfect weight and the only problem was that it was a little off sides but like that is the kind of stuff that he he is able to do he has this vision and uh, uh, and he has this this touch that is just close. It's, it's a beautiful combination of skills for this kid. And like, I don't know. I thought I totally agree with you, Keon. That's one of the things about this match that really stood out to me. I thought was that um, Lopetegui, you know, in addition to the offensive tactical nuances, ohm that I want uh, ohm that I want to talk about. Um, he also brought this kind of Spanish, um, more recent Spanish defensive mentality, which is like, we're going to hound and we're going to, we're going to run at you as hard as we can and, and counter press effectively and with vigor, uh, to get the ball back as much as possible and as much as possible to prevent you from breaking hard. And yeah, there were still some defensive, uh, you know, holes that, that Hitop had looked to exploit, but really Madrid's defense looked quite a bit better, I thought, than they than I expected it uh, generally. And that that was partially because of the work rate that Ceballos, Isco, and a couple of these other players had. Ohm, why don't you talk to us a little bit about what are the tactical nuances that you saw on offense? Yeah, so I think Keon hit the nail on the head when he talked about control because that was the name of the game. If, if, you're, if you're wondering why we are talking about this performance in such glowing terms, it's because of that. It, it, that is when, when you don't create that many chances. And I think there, there is some valid criticism there when, when you say, well, we didn't do that much in the final third. True, I think we could have been a bit um, um, neater with some of with, with the way we ended some of our attacking moves. I think we wasted a little bit of our attacking combinations, but that's that's not something I'm worried about because that's something you expect within within a totally new system. So I think the fact that that happened and we were able to counter press, um, which is which is a really key tool in Lopetegui for Lopetegui's system, is to counter press, win the ball back, and hold the ball. And continually dominate possession, even though a lot of our attacking third combinations broke down. That is something that is very impressive. It shows already the tactical organization between it, within this team, and and the understanding between these players. So, 
if we're talking about how it maybe wasn't so good in the final third, I think in the defensive third and middle third, it was excellent. And so you could see how how neatly spaced, how well-structured everything was. You had the two center backs, um, Ramos and Nacho, splitting wide to the edges of the box as we were building from the back against a Hetafe press that was really high at times. Kroos would drop in between the two center backs to receive, creating essentially a back three. And then I was really impressed with Ceballos and Isco's um, offensive positioning because I, some of the times, even under Lopetegui in Spain, you'd see Isco come way too deep to kind of overload that area where the defensive midfielder is supposed to supposed to be. But this time we saw Isco and Ceballos staying fairly high um, most of the time within within the half space, and that 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 gave Kroos space to operate within within and it, it forced the midfield line back a bit. And so as we built from the back, mainly we were going from the flanks and then looking to switch it from side to side. The positioning of the central midfielders was crucial then because what it because Isco and Ceballos positioned high in kind of central areas forced the midfield line not only to step back a little bit, but also it forced them to narrow and focus their attention on these two very dangerous players because they don't want those two guys receiving between the lines. And once that happened it was very easy for Real Madrid to switch play with either long diagonals or quick short passes to Car- to Carvajal and Marcelo, and they could receive the ball under almost no pressure. And that allowed us to progress from side to side into the final third very, very easily. And if you think about all the factors that go into that, the fact that Isco and Ceballos are almost acting as decoys, that they're using their offensive position to- positioning to create space for others, the fact that you know, it all worked in almost geometric fashion in that, um, you know, Kroos was Kroos was brilliantly positioned between the center backs and all of that. That is very impressive. We've only had, what, three, four preseason games, a game against Atletico Madrid, and this is our first La Liga game of the season. I mean, that is something to feel positive about. It really is. You were also mentioning um, that they were... Uh, in, in, trying to execute a fair number of long, I think, uh, uh, play switching diagonal, uh, or not diagonal, but like um, uh, across the field balls. That while they may not have been executing properly at all times, that that's an, that that was a key uh, feature of Lopetegui's offensive tactical uh, scheme. Am I am I am I wrong about that? <laughs> no, no, you're completely right because, um, as I said. The objective, and I think the objective, even when Lopetegui was with Spain, was to was to progress plays in a more horizontal manner, switching from side to side than maybe someone like Maurizio Sarri, who also uses positional play but is a lot more vertical. So Lopetegui likes to have the ball. He likes the tempo to be a bit slow, and then he'll speed it up. The ball will quickly be switched to the other side, and then will be switched back again. So it's all about shifting the the defense from side to side and a lot of the times the best way to do that is have you know someone like Kroos fire long diagonals to the other side because as I said Ceballos and Isco were creating space for Marcelo and and Carvajal to receive into and that is a very kind of Spanish interpretation of, mm-hmm. of positional play being more horizontal being a little safer with your passes but you know it, it is extremely effective and I think we saw a lot of that today but there's um on that note, um, the thing with the switching, the great thing about it is that even though it seems like a very simple pass, there is so much happening on the field if you look at it. Like the the off-ball movement from the front three, for example, is constant. Uh, the way players drop 
kind of depending where they are on the pitch. With like in this situation, Kroos dropping between center backs in the preseason, uh, kind of Bale and Asensio being interchangeable, and those the uh, kind of switching the play like that is is a great blueprint for kind of breaking organized defensive lines because it keeps every everyone guessing and kind of just shifting and eventually collapsing. And that's the way he played with Spain too. And the long passes and what I like about it also is that the outlets are always there. There's very rarely Atletico. I think you know were are the best example of really making us uncomfortable trying to play our way out of it. But after like the first 10, 15 minutes of even that game, I thought we really figured it out. And until Diego Costa equalized, I, th- I still thought we were the better team. And kind of that performance yeah. maybe was a bit exaggerated. But I would say like even in this game, you look at it was. Everybody makes each other's job easier. Like we can talk about Tony Kroos and his his passing accuracy in this game, which was otherworldly. And I and then when I looked at the statistic of him completing 116 of 118 passes, <laughs> little did I know also was the highest of any player since 2005 2006 season. Um, I forget who it was who set that record then, but yeah, that that is incredible. He looked great in this. I uh, in 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 Lopetegui's system. It, it is a really exciting preview of what's to come. I think for Kroos, um, who has always been incredible and inconsistent, inc- inc- but I think it's very possible that this system will allow him to take that step towards uh, to towards uh, even another level beyond where he is right now, which he was kind of in position to to uh, graze while he was at Bayern um, before they got Pep Guardiola. I was, I mean, I think a Bayern fan would have been very excited to see Kroos under Guardiola, um, and now he's going to get the chance to work with someone who has a not a similar style exactly, but definitely a similar tactical philosophy to Guardiola. Yeah, was, I thought. Uh, go on, Cameron. Well, I'll just be really quickly. But the 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 thing with it also is like in a Lopetegui scheme, the wing backs and the center midfielders are going to see so much of the ball, and in turn, they're going to have rack up. I think we're going to see them rack up a crazy amount of passes this season because they'll actually have outlets. And just going back to the long balls quickly, um, uh, Crow's 16 out of 16 long balls completed. Ramos, 10 out of 12. Um, everyone else, like Nacho, 6 out of 8. Kaylor, 8 out of 12. Bale <laughs> only had three, but all three of them were actually really pretty yeah, to watch. Yeah. Um, it, there's there's just options for the team. Yeah, I so going, I, I agree with all of that. And going back to player performances, I think Kroos was man of the match, in my opinion. I think there was a, a good argument for Gareth Bale. But I think when you talk about the way we controlled the game, you cannot talk about that without talking about the way Tony Kroos controlled the game. Um, Keon mentioned the passing percentages. It, absolutely ridiculous. And it's just not it's just not the percentages right like it's it's the the types of passes he's making the way he keeps the tempo of the game moving at all times if it needs to be slowed down he'll slow it down if it needs to be sped up he'll sped it up and most impressive of of all is he had like two or three Hitafe players on him at all times pressing him within our own half and he only gave the ball away twice two really uncharacteristic passes one very early in the first half the second when it looked like he was kind of getting tired but otherwise he was he had he has that classy first touch which sets the 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 presser off balance and he just has half a second to survey the passing options around him and he always picks the perfect pass i mean that this guy is just on another level when it comes to these types of things 
And every time I see a game like this, I'm just so, so thankful we could we, we got him for Bayern. And his whole contract situation allowed us to get him from cheap, get him for cheap. Another player I thought that was really good, Marcelo. I mean, this guy's passing. Oh, my really, God. Yeah. He's, it's underrated, I think, because I, I don't think Marcelo himself is underrated. We all know he's fantastic. But when we talk about him, we talk about the dribbling. We talk about the crossing, um, his, his runs down the, the left, which which is all fine. Those are the major parts of his game. But I was going through some stats beforehand on, on the World Cup in La Liga. Marcelo is one of the best progressive passers. I mean, he consistently ranks within the top five. And... Most fullbacks aren't there, even though fullbacks generally have a chance to like play these, you know, long ground passes up to the winger. Marcelo plays not only a critical role in in in, in just our final third play, but in our buildup. I mean, the guy's a ridiculous passer. We saw some really good long balls from him. I I mean, I don't know what more to say about him. I've I've said before, I think he's the best left back that's ever played for Real Madrid. Hell yeah! This game just solidifies that opinion. Um, I, I mentioned Bale. I don't have too much to say because Keon mainly covered it. I mean, he was very good first half, um, well-taken goal. Um, I, I, I saw some criticism for Isco. I mean, I didn't think he was fantastic, but I thought his offensive positioning was a lot better than I'm used to seeing. Um, as I mentioned earlier, like he, he kind of tends to come in and crowd the space for the defensive midfielder. I didn't see that at all today. And to me, that was a really, really good sign because that is – that could be the defining element that 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 helps our build up really get yeah. to that next level. Um, yeah, I'm impressed. I don't think a single player played badly. I don't think everyone played fantastically, but the fact that everyone was average or above, especially for the first game of the season, is is, is really promising. And you know, I, I hope it can continue. I uh, I would also note that. So yeah, I, I mean, I don't know of how much there else there is to say about Bale, especially, but I also wanted to note the two partners he had in the attack. I thought. I actually thought Kareem Benzema had a great underrated game today. I don't know what you guys thought, but I uh, I thought he was he really was incredible. I mean, people you know mess with us and they and they call us out for this all the time, but like he really was pretty pretty incredible in his link up play. <laughs> like he <laughs> he is really good at that, and like he was he was an incredible facilitator today, just as. Um, as he always is. And uh, also I wanted to shout out to Marco Asensio, who I thought had um, a little bit of an inconsistent day where he, he kind of disappeared. But when he when he had the kind of alpha Asensio mo- moments, I guess, he looked incredible, I thought. Yeah, I think with Asensio is that um, there were three or four occasions where he could have made a better decision. Um at the same time, I don't know how much you want to fault him for that because, like, on the there was a there were three occasions where he could either pass to Bale twice or Ben or Benzema, and he decided to shoot or dribble. And then the fourth instance, it was just a, a, in, in the midfield, he had easy outlets and he over dribbled and he lost it. But I also think he, in a way, he has earned the right to to shoot in situations where a goal scoring opportunity exists elsewhere just because he's he's actually proven that he's such a good shooter even at like crazy angles so I I guess for those little things it's subjective but I don't really blame him for those but I did see a lot of chatter about um kind of his decision making or whatever I thought while it could have been better at the same time he's justified in making the decisions he did because he's proven he can kind of back it up but yeah like his his work rate to to win the ball from Janay on Real Madrid's second goal was exemplary. And he not only wins it back, he plays it to Bale. 
uh, I thought that stuff, like to me, it's impossible that Asensio isn't a huge part of this season. Whether it's good or bad, I think a lot of it is going to be on his shoulders because he is one of the few people who can be in the final third and create for this team. And if he's going to play as much as I think he is, because I, I don't know how you can bench him, um, not on a consistent basis anyway, I expect a lot from him this season. Me too. Me too. Um, and he created, you know, uh, he created a number of moments of, uh, of, of, of total panic for the hit off a defense. He smashed that ball off the post also. Um, and he set yeah, up the goal for right Bale. Foot. Yep. So he, he, I think he had a totally, a, a very good one. Um, and, uh, obviously Bale did too. Uh, and all, otherwise I think that another kind of outstanding, and maybe, uh, and maybe you guys disagree, but I thought another surprising, um, but outstanding player on the pitch today was Nacho, who I thought had a very good one and, uh, who executed a absolutely crucial and perfect sliding tackle in the box to prevent what could have been a very, very dangerous situation. Yeah, that was that was off one of Kroos's only mistakes of the game, yeah. right? And it came later in the half when I thought he maybe should have been subbed. Yeah, Nacho, I, I, it's hard, I think, because under Lopetegui, Nacho, Ramos, Veron, Vallejo, whoever plays, they're going to have to pass at the level of, of, of central midfielders, of top-class central midfielders, and that will be their primary duty. And we saw that today that Ramos had to play a lot of long balls, um, which Keon mentioned. I think he mentioned the statistics, and not just long balls on the ground. They will have to, they will have to find the defensive midfielder with pinpoint accuracy because there will be pressers just waiting to pounce on a mistake. You know, sometimes they'll have to play a vertical pass higher up the pitch, and then when your when your mind is in that mode, you will have and you have this much control. There will be those one or two instances where you have to switch. To, to, to thinking about the game in a defensive way and, and, and mopping something up. And, and the fact that Nacho was able to make that switch extremely quickly and, and do brilliantly to, to make that intervention, it just shows that this guy, we're so lucky to have him as a backup. He's not, he, he could start at so many other clubs, and the fact that he's happy to stay here is... It it, it it takes some it takes some stress off me whenever I think about the fact that we may be a little thin at the center back position because Nacho is top quality. Nacho and Ramos both I thought were good. Like Nacho, I, I think had a more eventful game, but there were definitely a couple times in the first half where Ramos, um, in in one of the rare Getafe counterattacks, he was the one who was interfering, intercepting the pass or or making a tackle. I thought I thought they were both really good. I do too. It was a very. I mean, it it was um, pretty surprising to me to see people complaining about it, and I I I think I can understand the people who were complaining about the lineup at the beginning of the match, but I it did it really did Keon surprise me to hear that people were complaining about it at halftime after what I thought was one of the better halves Madrid has played in quite a long time. Um, so I think with that, I don't know if you guys have anything else you want to add, Keon. Do you have anything else in your notebook? Um, not. Um, I don't think so. No, I don't really either. I, I mean, I think it can't be said enough that Isco and Ceballos actually did play really important roles today, despite their kind of diminished presence on offense. They were crucial, I thought. Uh, and people that were complaining about them should um, step back and and look at that. Um, but I think other than that, I don't have that much to say. I mean, Bale was Bale 
the alpha bail that Kim we have been <laughs> saying for forever that if he could just kind of release and unshackle himself, he would look a lot like he did today where he was taking people on, which was really, I mean, and he just was constantly beating people on that wing, which is what the bail that we always knew and, and believed that he was. Uh, and then he was, I mean, he looked really confident taking his shots too. Yeah. yeah I mean, I thought with Hatafe playing as like, they, they kind of clogged centrally, but they also played a decently high line, which meant Bale had space um, behind Cabrera. And to me, he looked confident taking them on anytime he had the ball. There were a couple of times where basically if you look at him off the ball, he's playing on the shoulder. And if they switch it to him like a diagonal ball or or Carpal hits them with a ball down the flank, he's gone. Um, so I, and I think, again, I, I just to reiterate, to me, he looked like mentally free. Like he looked yeah. like someone had taken off a chain off his shoulders and he could breathe. And he looked like almost like he actually, I don't want to say Tottenham bail, but he re- it really <laughs> felt like he, f- he Better. had, <laughs> he just, it looked like he was free. That's all. It did. And, uh, you know, we, we know he did like playing with Cristiano Ronaldo, um, but he did also, it does feel like he's kind of accepted the weight of being the offensive creator for, for this Real Madrid team. We've seen, it reminded me a little bit, I, not to, I keep using basketball analogies, but it reminded me a little bit of um, Kawhi Leonard when like the Spur, when Spurs, uh, the Spurs act, asked him to step up, and no one really knew what, or they they like knew that he had this in him, but that he did, and it was like he had this weight on top. And obviously, hopefully, he doesn't leave like Kawhi did. But um, it did remind me a lot of just it. It, it seemed like he had that. Um, I don't know. I almost want to say je ne sais quoi, but like it had this um, this weight to his performance. Like he he did seem free, but he also. Sp- Seemed like he um, he wanted this, like this was his team yeah. and he owned he looked, it. I mean, and this is what he wanted, right? Like this is what he wanted. He wanted to, to one, play, but also just be able to be a focal point. And I don't think he'll ever feel overburdened in the sense of he needs to carry the team because I really think that's what he wants. Like that's the kind of type of thing he'll thrive in. Like that's that's the bill we need. Just Just stay healthy and I think everything will be fine. Uh, I just have a completely unrelated point to add before I think we move into questions. Um, so at, we were talking about control, right? And I think I, I don't think any of us mentioned Hetafe's expected goals. Like Real Madrid, we mentioned wasn't that high; it was one point one six. Hetafe's was only point one nine, and I can't remember it being ever like that low yeah, ever in, in like the past four or five seasons. And just to put that in perspective, Hetafe could repeat this performance the next five games. And they would only be expected to score one goal over those five games. So that's how, when we say control, we really controlled the game. And Hetafe hardly had a sniff. So yeah. that that is the part that that's quite impressive. And like Keon said, it, it, we were almost defending by having the ball. Yeah, it's a great point. Yeah. Um, all right, Keon. I think we we're gonna let you go. Um, yeah, we're I gotta jump run. into I, can, uh, questions. Can I plug now? something? Yeah, dude. Plug, that- plug, plug. Uh, if you're if you're not a patron, you missed out on a bunch of great podcasts this week, and including a really fun podcast with Kay Murray on Friday, which will not die or get old uh, because it'll be relevant. It's a lot of fun, and she'll probably come on at some point again um, for a part two. 
and just um, consider pledging because you're missing out on a lot of great content. Uh, and that's all from me, folks. Thank you so much. Thanks, Keon, buddy. See you later. Yeah. A la Madrid. See ya. A la Madrid. All right. Um, school's out, baby. Bye, bye, mom. Bye, dad. We are. <laughs> <laughs> we can do whatever we want now. Let's party, baby. Um. <laughs> uh, all right. So let's answer some of these questions. Um, and uh, uh, yeah, we can curse now. No one's gonna make us put money in the swear jar. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> all right so uh jason morell uh asks us and by the way um obviously if you want to get your question answer, answered um and access to keon's amazing interview of uh k murray you can go and just toss us a few bucks on patreon three dollars you get access to our back catalog and the show um and uh, for five dollars a month, you we will answer every question that you send in. Well, one question per show, but you get your question answered on our show every week. Um, not just every week, every show that we do, we will answer a question from you. So you can just toss us a few bucks, and you get some great interviews. I mean, last week it was K. Murray with a guest surprise starring appearance from someone I'm not even gonna I'm not gonna mention. You have to listen to it. You have to go toss us some money and. And check it out for yourself. It's um, it's a great way to support us, support independent um, journalism about Real Madrid. All right. Jason Morell asks us, uh, how many more weeks must we endure of hearing about life post-Cristiano after every game? It's incredibly annoying to hear the intention being taken off the players in the game and showered on someone no longer with the team. Yeah, so I think I, think I understand why it's annoying. Um, but I think we're going to hear about this the entire season. That's simply the consequence of your greatest yeah. ever player leaving you. People are going to be curious about how the team feels, how the team acts, and how the team performs without someone like Ronaldo in the side. I mean, that's just that's just natural. I mean, I, again, yeah. like I, I understand why you wouldn't like it. I mean, I'm also kind of getting a little sick of it because it feels like journalists are needling for for controversial responses. But I, I think on, on the flip side, if you if you you try to ignore some of that, I think it is kind of fun to, to look at the differences and, and, and try to consider what this team looks like looks like without Ronaldo. Are, are there positives? What are the negatives? How are we coping? Because that is a relevant question. That is that is something that the team is actively trying to solve this season. And I, I think I think the coach is aware of that. I think the attacking players are aware of that. Like like Gabe said, Bale looked like he played with more weight this game. And that is a direct consequence of Ronaldo leaving. Bale understands he has more responsibility now, and he is embracing that fully. Yeah, I uh, I I think that we're just gonna have to eat it, as you said. Um, I mean that and Zidane. No one's talking about Zidane, which is probably for the best because it's just annoying. Um, but these. You never. I, we had this, you know, making someone. Some I can't remember making this point that like I can't understand like what change like Modric. You know, something happened in our in our Croatian midfield. Kovacic had to get out. Modric was trying to leave. All these things. Like yeah, we had the highest goal scorer in the history of the club. The best player ever. He scored you know, one plus goal per game, which is an insane thing in the history of this sport. Leave the club and the manager who won the three peat and who was widely loved by 
a huge ch- chunk of the uh, uh, of the dressing room all both left. So yeah, there are going to be some changes, and this is still going to be a topic that people are going to want to talk about. So I don't want to like defend the incredibly annoying questions, but on some level, they are going to be still salient. Like this is Real Madrid post Cristiano Ronaldo, and the the last time Madrid started a Cristiano Ronaldo game or started a game without Cristiano Ronaldo in La Liga, they were starting people like Gabriel Heinze and Arjen Robin. He's sort of a big deal. There's a reason they're asking these questions. <laughs> He's been yeah, around forever. I agree with you 100%. Um, but yeah, so we're just gonna have to eat it, but it's okay. Like that means that some of the under the radar stuff will go under the radar and people won't be coming into like, you know, poach some of our players, which is good. Um, Nicole Gant asks us, uh, first, even though you all posted podcasts during the summer, I feel like I missed you all and I'm looking forward to the upcoming pod. All right. That's nice. We're happy to be back. We're back in school, you know, uh, we were taking our break and now we're back. Um, back but, in school, but the teacher is out. Yeah, the teacher is out. We are in the. It's like in that when you're in middle school and like the teacher didn't show up. You know, you know if the teacher doesn't show up within the first 15 minutes, we can all leave. <laughs> <laughs> uh, she says, "I'm a couple of episodes behind because I save them for days I run and I've been lazy." Yeah, me too. So don't answer any of these questions again if you've already addressed them. I missed most of the Super Cup, but I did maybe, uh, did watch maybe 10 minutes of the first half, and Isco seemed off. What do you think of his performance, uh, since, uh, since I'm sure you watched the full match? So why don't we ask that, answer this one first? Um, there does seem to be kind of a narrative forming about Isco that he's been a little bit off. I mean, I think every single player almost was off in, in the Super Cup. I mean, I don't think it's really super egregious to point that out. Um, I mean, I would disagree with you a lot if you if you said that about this game against Hetafe. But um, I mean, against Atletico Madrid, you know, like Keon said, I think maybe the the negatives of our performance was over exaggerated. But it, it was simply a case of Simeone's Atletico Madrid having been drilled in, in in essentially the same philosophy for like five years under the same coach with a, a next level cohesion and 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 Real Madrid having a new coach with a new philosophy in their first competitive game in the season. I mean, that's essentially what it was with a lot of Real Madrid players not looking that fit um, because of the World Cup. Um, so, yeah, Esco didn't look that off, but it's important to understand that in the context of the fact that all of our players looked off. I mean, Varane, one of our most reliable players, yeah. arguably the most reliable player last season, um, was our worst player probably. So, I mean, you you don't take too much away from that game. I agree with that. Um, she has another question about Asensio. She says, um, uh, is Asensio ready to take on a bigger role this year? I just wanted to hear your thoughts. Um, I think we both think so. It's time. I, yeah. I know that Real Madrid thinks so. Absolutely. When I wrote my article about why Aiden Hazard would improve us, but wasn't necessarily needed. Uh, a part of part of my reasoning was the fact that Asensio is a huge talent, and I think it's time to trust him with 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 a much bigger role. Yeah. Um. I I don't know. I I don't think you know the game against Hetafe is really going to answer whether he's ready or not. I don't think even the next couple games is going to. We're going to have to see at the end of the season. But his talent is obvious. I don't think he's going to make too much of a dent. In the goal scoring area, um, given the fact that you know, has he's not a high volume shooter. Half of his shots come around. Half of his shots come from outside the box. 
Um, so if you're looking for him to make a huge impact that way, he's not really that type of player. So I think you'd be you'd be looking in the wrong place and be approaching it all wrong. But where you sh- I think his his chance creation numbers are going to improve a lot. I mean, he creates around two and a half chances per game. You know, which comes to like an expected assist total of 0.3 um, per game, which is pretty strong with more minutes. I'm going to expect a lot of assists from him. And then you're also looking for maturity in his decision making, like we were discussing earlier in the podcast. There's a little issues with that. And, you know, big game performances, work rate, his ability and build up those some intangibles there. I think we're going to see big improvements this season because he's 22. You know, he, he's he's about to enter that that part of his career where where players start start having like their prime um you know statistical output so yeah i have faith in this guy it 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 will take you know a bit of patience with the fans it will be ugly periods at times but i think this guy is really going to impress us this season yeah he definitely is i so let's um let's continue excuse me <clears throat> Uh, Anthony Lombardi asks us, uh, my question is, what was the best team in the world, um, and what was the best team in the world in your opinion, as in team plus era that they played in? Goddamn, dude, that's <laughs> such an aggressive question. All right, fair play. Um, all right, I'm going to defer <laughs> for now. I, I'll, I have to think about this. Huh. I mean... Uh, this is such a tough question, dude. I think I'm just going to go easy and say Pep Guardiola's Barcelona 2009 to 2011, I still think is is probably the best team that ever played. And I'm just going to say in, in general of all time because, um, you know, obviously they had the most advanced tactical system. You know, if you were to play that team against any older team, the older team would lose because they play in a different time. Um, but even for their era, I think I think they were the best. I think... The football they played was off the charts, um, and they had <laughs> arguably the greatest player of all time, second best player of all time, in Lionel Messi, um, which you know is going to be a huge, huge part of your case. Um, I think strong shout outs to um, the Milan team of uh, of the '90s. I think the, the Milan team that won, you know, I think three straight European Cups. Um, there's the old Bayern team that also won um, three straight European Cups. Then you can't. You can't miss Real Madrid's um, uh, team under Di Stefano, um, which yeah. won five straight European Cups. And I think Zidane's 16-17 um, team has a shout. I mean, I don't. I personally don't think that they are the GOAT team, but I definitely think that they are up there, you know, winning back-to-back Champions Leagues and a double is it's impressive. Yeah, I would also say that I think that in terms of dominance or their era, and this is like, not a fair comparison, probably, but the um, the Pele Brazil team probably is one of the great ones, also, uh, just in terms of dominance. But this is a t- tough question because it's a historical comparison question, which is always really hard. <laughs> uh, and because, like, <laughs> we're talking about comparing teams at Pep Guardiola's Barcelona, where he like people controlled everything the players ate and what they did and all that shit, and like. Mm-hmm. And and this like some of these like teams from the fifties like the this like the Di Stefano team people are going in at locker room at halftime and having half a pack of cigarettes and a shot of bourbon <laughs> or whatever like that's a, just a totally different idea of what people should do. Teams were even do doing it. that in the nineties and stuff, especially in the Premier League. <laughs> Hell Arsene, yeah, dude! In the NBA, Arsene Wenger, yeah, Arsene Wenger <laughs> came in and kind of changed everything in the Premier League. I mean. The, the level of performance and, like, I think longevity we're seeing from athletes is a very recent phenomenon. So, 
it would be even more interesting to see how it gets, you know, like 50 years from now. But I, I think that's why it's important to discuss like within eras, because I think it's it's logical to just assume the best team of, of the future era is going to be better than the best team of the past era, simply because of the fact that the game is advanced, you know, nutrition is advanced. So, yeah, I mean, that's also what makes the question quite hard. Maybe I think um, something that I don't think anyone should really have a super hard opinion on because it's, if you really think about it, it's it's, it's impossible to say. You can just kind of have like a, a preference, but it, it's really impossible to, to say, well, this is the definite greatest team of all time. Yeah. Um, it's an impossible, it's, it's such an impossibly tough thing to think. I would say that choosing the Pep Guardiola Barca team is a hot ass take for a Real Madrid podcast. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm guessing, I'm guessing people won't like that, but I, I gotta be objective at least some of the time, guys, so. All right. Um, Sajid Rayaz um, asks us um, a question about Bale's position. He says, I know our opinions on Bale's playing position don't always concur, so I'll break down my thoughts. There's a bullet point list. <laughs> it's a lot. Um, Bale is brilliant playing on the wing in, these, in the following scenarios in my bullet point list. <laughs> bullet point one, when we break down on a counterattack. Bullet point two, when we play against a high defensive line. Bullet point three, when we play a possession game and we overload on the left-hand side and he is a pacey outlet. But in general, against a low block, this is counterproductive. Granted that he has improved playing around tight spaces, when you have better expon- exponents of it like Isco and Asensio and, and Kroos and Modric doing that anyway, you'd rather use Bale's ability to play off the shoulder. Um, this isn't a question. What's the question? Um, oh, where's the question? I think he's just asking us to talk about assess Bale. whether that's right or wrong. Yeah, I don't think that I don't agree about this. Um, the the I don't know. I think we've seen Bale be the difference maker against low blocks a number of times. So I'm not I'm not sure that's right, especially because Bale is so strong in the air. And against a low block, you're going to have a fair number of um, of moves into the box through in the air. And I, I just I think that his athletic ability and it's very underrated. Um, still, because he was playing next to Ronaldo, who's one of the greatest of all time in the air, he also is extremely good. And so I, I think on this new look Real Madrid team, he's going to add a different. Um, I mean, we saw it today where he almost he he smashed this beautiful diving header off the off the crossbar today. Uh, that was a very hard ball to get. I, I think that's one of the things that that we're we're sleep you're sleeping on him here on this I, Sajid. I mean, I think I think Sajid basically agrees with the part that he's good in the air and stuff. I think what he's saying is that Bale should play as a striker against deep yeah. blocks, which I don't I don't agree with because we saw him play as a striker um, so many times last season. I wrote an article on this like going through all the formations he played in, the stats, you know, the context behind those stats, all of that. Um, it was It's titled In Defense of Gareth Bale's Form. I wrote it last season. If you're interested, just essentially look at the stats. You can go check that out. Um, as Essentially, the, 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 the too-long-didn't-read summary of that was Bale did not play well as a striker, and he played a lot better when he was out wide. 
simply because of the fact that Bale isn't a player that thrives on not being involved in the game, which can sometimes happen when you're a forward, and also because he just doesn't really understand how to make the movements from that position because he's not a striker. Like, the playing with his back to goal, you know, linking from a central position, um, it, it's not things he does well at all, and all he really does from that position is make runs off the shoulder and... A striker's role is more complicated than that. It doesn't always have to be as complex as Benzema's role, maybe. But there needs to be hold up. There needs to be clever movements out wide. Sometimes, you know, it, a lot of your deep movements have to be well timed. It, it's a lot of spatial understanding and a lot of experience it takes. I mean, even Ronaldo at times, who's played in that position a lot, doesn't always make the right movements. Bale just isn't comfortable there. And I think when when he still has that, he's still in his peak in terms of athleticism. You should play him on the wing. And I think that doesn't diminish his ability to get into the box. I actually think it enhances it because, you know, at, we saw that run, that that header that Gabe was talking about. A lot of Bale's open play headers come from him running from the wing on the blind side of defenders and getting getting free opportunities without anyone seeing him. And that's a lot harder to do when you're a striker. So I think if you're going to play Bale, it has to be on the wing. And I would agree with you that... I think I don't really think it's a problem to have Bale against deep blocks because he offers a lot in the air with Ronaldo gone and and Benzema I think having declined in that aspect. Um, Benzema only wins like twenty seven percent of his aerial duels as opposed to Bale who wins fifty four percent. He he's actually critical because because crosses are an important part of of the game. We've criticized it sometimes. We've criticized an over reliance on it, but I have no opposition to playing a good crossing game and, and Bale offers a lot. And Bale is also a fantastic crosser himself. And he's a good dribbler. He's a good shooter from distance. And he, he has an underrated creative spark to him that people like people just like to stereotype him as pace and power when, when he's not, he has, he has guile and all of that. So yeah, I mean, I think Saji kind of identifies like Bale's qualities correctly, but I think he, he's perhaps you're perhaps overestimating Saji his ability to play as a striker and underestimating yeah. what he can provide as a winger against a deep block. Yeah, that's a great point. Um, Saji has a second question here um, about uh, bringing in a second quality number nine. That I, I just want to say, yeah, that's a that's a that's a good idea. Um, no, hang on a second. Um, should be he's all right. He's saying that we should get a backup. No, I'm sorry about this, everybody. Keon kind of sprung me doing the questions on on him, uh, on us because he had to leave. So I'm just reading a lot of these for the first time. But um, or like I've read them, but I haven't you know prepared as uh, as if I was hosting this section. So just apologies. But um, Sajid says we should maybe look for a backup nine instead of a um, uh, a. For uh, top quality, two hundred million striker to get first mi- first team minutes, and actually that's exactly what we've been saying for a while, Om. So I totally agree with that. Yeah, I, I mean, I think I think I would have preferred ideally maybe not a backup striker and maybe not one that's super expensive, but a striker that can compete with Benzema for the starting yeah. spot. But I I think that window has passed. And there weren't that many options anyway, so I think a backup striker is ideal. I mean, I, I heard some links to Mariano. I would love to have the guy back. Um, he 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 is a stud. He, he he doesn't do a lot besides scoring, but honestly, that's kind of what we're lacking in 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 our forward profile. We have a lot of forwards that do a lot of things. Um, we have Benzema who can do everything, but what we need is just one guy who's all about scoring. 
Um, so, yeah, I mean, I agree. I don't think it's a very controversial take to say we need a backup striker. I, I haven't yet met a single person that is opposed to it. I mean, the couple people I have, like, think Borja Mayoral is, like, ready for a bigger role. And I'm a lot more hesitant on that idea because he's got, like, a combined 700 minutes over the last two seasons in the league. So, yeah, I think I think we need to bring up a, bring in a backup striker and loan Mayoral. And then I would feel pretty confident about, about the way we've we've um, set up our squad for, to, 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 to attack this season. I totally agree with that. Um, I totally agree with that. Last, or another question, not last, another question. Um, Saad Omar asked us, um, what is, in your opinion, Marco Asensio's upper limit of potential based on his current trajectory? At one point, I used to think he could replace Cristiano Ronaldo as the unstoppable goal-scoring machine, but maybe my expectations are too high. What do you think? Um, he has been pretty underwhelming in reasonably large chunks of last season. Will we see another goal-scoring phenom like CR7 um, in uh, in the next decade? Isn't it concerning that Real Madrid are getting out-muscled out of our primary targets? Oh, okay, this is a transfer question. I will, um, my man, I'm very interested at home in your opinion on this, but I'm seeing this uh, vision, this this report, and this this kind of opinion circulate a fair amount now that Asensio is actually didn't have a very good season. Um, and I think that is just a product of people having crazy high expectations, to be frank. Like, they're too high. Chill. Like, he, he still is learning clearly. Like, if you watch today's game, he looked great in chunks, but he had, I think, clearly had some decision-making issues. Yeah, I mean, I, I, kind, of, I kind of knew this was going to happen um, because – the way he started the 17-18 season was with two absolute beauties, two, yeah. two absolute golazos versus Barcelona in the Super Cup. And that that blew expectations out of the water. I mean, people were saying this guy's ahead of Mbappe. He's a get a, ahead of Usman Dembele in, in terms of the best young players in the world. I mean, they shouldn't even be in discussion with him. and And that put a lot of unrealistic expectations not just on his game overall but on his goal scoring ability like i mentioned earlier in the podcast that that's not who asensio is asensio is not a goal scorer so if you thought he was going to replace cristiano ronaldo's potential i'm i think i think you misread um who asensio was yeah yeah because he never showed that in in his career he's a playmaker and he is he is a player that will he's, he's more he's like azard than he is cristiano ronaldo yeah yeah, he, he's more of a line breaker, he's more of a playmaker, and he's more of someone who's involved in build-up. So that, for me, I think was – people were way off, and I think that they were expecting so much yeah. production from him last season when I think actually he had a fairly good season. Um, I, I did too. That's a, I mean, whatever. Sorry. I'm sorry to jump in when you're talking like that, but like, yeah, I thought he actually had a fairly, fairly strong season. And, I mean, he's not Mbappe. That's mm-hmm. I think that's I think that's sort of where the bar is for him in, in Real Madrid circles. And he just isn't. He not only is he um not as talented a goal scorer, he just isn't the same player as we've been trying to discuss. So if you're expecting him to come on and light the world on fire in the way that Mbappe has, he will do that, but just not in the way that pundits, especially non soccer pundits like you get at the World Cup, will see. <laughs> well, shots fired there, but uh, I, I I think that's a, that's a great point. I, 
Mbappe should not be the standard for anyone because this guy is the greatest youngster we've seen since probably OG Ronaldo. And OG Ronaldo was fucking insane. Like, this should not be the bar for any youngsters. We're talking about like a generational, you know, talent at at, at this point in their careers. Um, I think, so back to talking about Asensio's season, I think the reason people... You know, we're we're on him and in criticizing him was his his production was pretty standard. It was six goals, six assists, but a lot of his game is so much more than that. Um, I think, as I mentioned before, his assist production will probably go up with a lot more minutes, but his goal production isn't really going to be that much greater. He's more of a player that scores four to five beautiful goals a season, two to three maybe more normal ones. And that's it. So maybe you're looking at 10 goals, 15 to 20 assists, which is pretty, pretty Incredible. strong from a that's, wide player. It's yeah, a great... Um, but you look at He does a lot more intangibles that don't show up on the stat sheet. And then the stuff that does show up on the stat sheet is more more creative stuff. Yeah. And so I think he, I think his... To go back to the very original question, what do you think his upper limit is? I think his upper limit is, is, is being world-class. One yeah. of the top 5, 10 players in his position, yep. which is... I mean, you cannot, you can't say that for like even one percent of the youngsters in the world. That is a very, very small yeah. amount of players that we're talking about. And I think that's how Real Madrid felt about him when they signed him. I don't, I don't think any scout or or, or the board or Florentino ever thought that he was going to replace Cristiano Ronaldo. No one that, is going to replace Cristiano Ronaldo. You're yeah, not going to no. get another Cristiano Ronaldo. It's, it's. I mean, maybe the only guy who could at this age, but he he been able to so like Mbappe, right? it's yeah i think i think i think i think it was i think you saw it, you were being you were being pretty honest maybe saying that your expectations were too high i think i think a lot of fans expectations are too high and i think we need to recalibrate yeah. them and also understand the type of player that essential is and understand that you can have the only way that you're going to replace someone like ronaldo or barca will replace someone like messi is by literally just creating a team that can that can take up the slack and distribute the load against to, to everyone else because just it's not you're not going to find you're not going to find someone that's going to do that. Uh, Yaz asked us, Yaz maybe yeah yeah um, just give me I, I keep saying this but just tell me if I'm doing missed, this wrong. I think we missed Saad's question about the oh yeah transfers. oh yeah there's a second question sorry Saad. Um, isn't it concerning that Real Madrid is getting out-muscled uh, out of our primary targets during summer after summer? <laughs> I wouldn't say that. Uh, I think that it's smart for Real Madrid not to play in this market right now. Like, I, I get uh, everyone's frustration, but the only way they were going to get one of these guys that, that, that really would have been a game-changing player is by giving an amount of money that is is just beyond almost, and like... You see the the amount of money that we're talking about for one player in in like corporate mergers. <laughs> it's not. This is not. Well, it's a little low, but still, like you you don't. We're talking about if Madrid had outlaid three hundred million, they might have been able to get one of these guys, and that's just an in, insane and absolutely ridiculous amount of money. So I get the idea of just playing it slow and waiting for like taking you know going in on players where you have a little more upper hand either they're willing to have a meltdown and force their way out or their contract is is going to expire and you convince them that um hey like just tell them that you're not going to sign and then they'll sell you to us for a reasonable price that's what happened with Courtois I mean that's a smart strategy and then go for the younger players like Vinicius or Rodrigo who in 4 years will be 
paying huge dividends probably. Uh, it's, I think that Madrid's transfer strategy is not – I mean, I know that a lot of people are thinking like this, that it's about being weak, but I, I, don't, I don't see it that way personally. And also, I mean, how many mo- targets, like actual targets, not just like ones thrown around, like actual targets have we been outmuscled? The only ones I can, only one I can think of the past two seasons is Mbappe. And it wasn't and it even out muscled. Yeah, like we, the, we Monaco gave like agreed with Real Madrid. It was just that Mbappe's dad wanted him to play in Paris. It was that, and it was the I think the salary issue. It was those two things. So it wasn't. Yeah. So like you said, that isn't being out muscled. And I think this season, the only real targets we've had were Odri Zola and Courtois. And then I think maybe someone like Rodrigo, uh, not the not the Brazilian one we signed, the the Spanish striker in La Liga, um, who, who plays for Valencia. I think we've ha- maybe had him as an actual target for for backup. And I mean that's essentially down to us. I don't think any other club really is going for him the same way we are. And maybe Mariano as well. So I think maybe when you say out muscled, I, I don't think that. In, when 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 you use that term and, and you think about what it means, I don't think that is exactly what's happened. I think maybe you're thinking that, that you're meaning to say that other clubs have gone around and just snapped up targets while we haven't really done much. I think that might be more of an accurate assessment, but Gabe's explanation is is a pretty sound one on why we haven't been as as as, as active as as other teams and, and other teams have had better opportunities like sorry going to chelsea essentially ensured that Jorginho was going to come with him so i mean that was not yeah. just chelsea being this like assertive team in the transfer market that went and bullied napoli like there have been better opportunities for some clubs than us and then that's just how it is sometimes that's right um and that's because Real Madrid has just won three back-to-back-to-back Champions Leagues. I mean, and there's just not that much op- – like, if you're a young player and you're looking at Real Madrid's squad, where do you see yourself breaking in? I mean, they, when you have the, a team that's been this good this long with this core, it's hard to look at that and say, I'm going to go to there and displace Modric. Like, that's that's unlikely. <laughs> Uh, and so I, I think that if you look at Barcelona's team, even though they had a, a objectively fantastic last season, you know you don't see you see a lot more potential areas where you could maybe get some playing time. Whereas at Madrid, you're looking at it and you're like, damn, they have this really good deep team. Which now Barcelona may be deeper than Real Madrid, but they definitely weren't going into this off season um, before Cristiano and, and, and company left. Like Madrid was the deepest team in the world for the last couple of years, so it's hard to imagine if you're a young player being like, "I love Real Madrid, but I will. I'm not gonna like. I sorry. It's easy to understand like why people might not want to go there to start their career. Um. All right. Yaz, Yaz. Um. And so I was saying, just uh, tell me if I'm pronouncing your name wrong. Yaz uh, says, hey, guys, I just wanted to ask you what your thoughts were regarding the players that Barcelona have brought in in this transfer window. Are they looking to change their style of play and go for a bit of a new system? Um, even though maybe too early to say, how well do you think Lobotegui's Madrid will do against them? Um, I don't I don't know. I think they're just going out and getting um, players that work for Valverde. And, and Valverde's style is already a little different than... You know, maybe Pep Guardiola, definitely Pep Guardiola's, and maybe even then Luis Enriquez. Yeah, I mean, Valverde is is about he's more 
than past coaches in, I think, the way he presses. I, I In the first half of last season, Barcelona pressed a lot higher and, and they were the arguably the best pressing team or, or the second best pressing team in the league. Second half, it kind of dropped off probably for like fatigue reasons and stuff like that. But the, the emphasis Valverde going to the 4-4-2 and moving Messi into the, the striker position um, and out from the right wing where he played under Lucho, I think the emphasis is on, on ensuring that Barcelona cannot concede as, as the first objective because and, and that's when you ask what kind of system is, is going to exist this season. We saw in the European Super Cup, you know, Valverde switched to a 4-3-3. He was trying it out with Dembele on the left, Messi on the right, and Messi played very well, but Barcelona looked extremely vulnerable down the counter because, you know, Messi likes to drift inwards. He doesn't really like to play as a right winger. He's more of a number 10. And that messes up the structure a little bit. And that was the main thing Valverde solved and one of the key things I thought that took them to the title last season. So I think that is staying the same. And when you look at someone like he helps. Yeah. That but also, also what I think he brings is with... With, with with replacing Paulinho is he's he's a much better version yeah. of Paulinho. He's even even though he's thirty one, still one of the best box box players. Dude, in it's the a world. brutal. I'm sorry, it's a brutal addition. I love Arturo yeah. Vidal. I think he's incredible, and that's such a that's such an upgrade for Barcelona. I'm not was not happy with that. Uh, under the radar, a huge deal in my opinion. <laughs> yeah, and I think I think Malcolm signing someone like Malcolm actually gives. Um, Valverde more offensive potential if, for example, he wants to bench Suarez in some games, then I think the 4-3-3 is viable. And I think Messi Mm -hmm. can play up top and it won't mess up their structure. So I I think we're going to see essentially the same thing with maybe some more tactical variation because of someone like Malcolm coming in. You have Messi, Malcolm, Dembele. But Vidal doesn't really change much. He's going to be a better version of Paulinho's box-to-box movements. You're probably going to see him score a a lot of goals like Paulinho did but yeah, yo! Shout out Paulinho for just getting that money. By the way, that dude <laughs> rules. That's so like he goes to play for Barcelona for one year and then goes back to China to just take an even larger contract. That's I respect the crap out of that. Actually, Paulinho, that's pretty and, cool. And he actually had a pretty good season. I was highly skeptical. Yeah. I, I I still think that <laughs> I still think that he he limited Barcelona in some ways. But he came here. He had a lot to prove. He, he he had the impact that Valverde wanted him to, and he left. And all in all, I think Paulinho has won the last couple of years. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Good job, Paulinho. Uh, I was so dunking on him, too. And I, I, did, I, I was I, – I mean, I, I, I don't want to say – yeah, you know what? I was wrong about that. I, he did a really good job for Barcelona last year, and then he left and got more money. Fair enough. Uh, and – yeah, Barcelona's had a very good transfer window, I thought. Um, it uh, sucks because they're adding these exciting players to a team that almost went undefeated last season. So we'll, we'll, see, we'll see what happens this year. But that's um, I'm worried about the, the way Real Madrid is going to play them. That being said, Real Madrid is still really good, folks. Don't forget about that. <laughs> but it, this is a very good Barcelona team that's only gotten stronger. Uh, Surav asks us, um, what do you think about this rumor, which is that um, Lopetegui wants to get another center forward and central defender? Is there any truth in it? And previously, no players on the planet were unavailable for Real Madrid. What has changed? Same question. Um, We've sort of already answered that. I still... um, 
I'll tell you, I, I think that's still basically true. I just think that um, Madrid is trying to, there is ultimately, uh, and, and, and I know this is sort of sacrilege, there is ultimately a total cap in the amount of money you can spend. So I do think Madrid are waiting to get good deals because they want to be able to spend judiciously and correctly and make sure that they can offer people really good contracts. That's another point. And, and it's one of the things I wrote about in my Juventus to uh, Juventus Cristiano Ronaldo article, which is that Ronaldo's um, fee is actually the least, nowhere near as big a burden to Juve as his contract, which is $60 million a year. His fee is $100 million, $120 million or whatever, uh, which is amortized, which is only about $40 million, but, uh, uh, or you know, $30 million a year over four years, which is actually not that much money. Uh, but his contract, because he gets $30 million after tax, is actually a huge deal. And so if you're giving people, even if you're giving, so all tax, or all European salaries are after tax, so you have to basically double them. Uh, so Madrid wants to be able to offer people really big salaries, which means that they actually can't do as huge a con- like they can't give 300 million for Neymar because then they have to pay basically 60 70 million a year to Neymar to keep him so the the actual transfer fee is much higher it's a, it's a very interesting situation so i i just i think madrid is is playing it smarter than other teams are right now unless they're uh, i mean some teams actually do have an actual unlimited amount of money and those are the teams that are backed by countries uh, which Madrid isn't. So I don't know. I don't know like what to say. But um, in terms of Lopetegui wanted to get new players, um, I think it's it's definitely it makes sense that he's looking for it. But it also, you know, I'm not sure it's going to happen. I mean, I I mean that's exactly what I was going to say. I don't have much to add there. I mean, makes sense. But the window's closing soon, and I I feel like. If something was going to happen, we would have seen some really concrete links by now. Obviously, I mean, we could still get him, but I I think we're going into the season with the squad that we have. Me too. Um, Shea Kateri asks us, um, I think pulling out Casemiro from the Super Cup, who is great at destroying the offensive scheme of the opponents by interrupting their plays, was what hurt us. Before that, um, we were defending perfectly. Also, I wish we would have uh, get played Modric from the beginning and had not taken Asensio out. We don't have many goal scorers, and it isn't smart to take out one of the few choices without a reasonable safety net. What do you all think? Oh, yeah. So to the Casemiro bit, this was a really popular line of thinking that I saw. I, I understand where it's coming from because... Yeah, it's generally Casemiro provides us with a level of defensive stability, especially in situations where we're getting overrun or the defensive structure doesn't look good. I mean, he can single-handedly, I wouldn't say solve, but cover for all those issues. But Casemiro's game was all right. I mean, it started out very shaky. He improved with a lot of his defensive interceptions. But when you look at what caused the goals, what caused them were us giving the ball away. And... I'm just not that confident his biggest weakness being playing out from under pressure that he would have prevented any of that. I think maybe you can argue um, that he would have somehow, after we lost the ball, like in superhuman fashion, gone into defensive positions to clear the ball. I mean, he's certainly done that kind of thing before, but it's 
it's it's an it's not an argument that I find especially convincing. I I just think it was the fact that our our, our players were off. They gave the ball away in really bad positions because that's essentially what caused the goals. Um, and I just don't really really see how Casemiro would have prevented that. I think in situations, if it was a situation where um, Atletico was really overwhelming us. Um, which they actually didn't um, throughout the game. It was our own mistakes that hurt us. If they were overwhelming us offensively, the the fullbacks weren't getting back quickly enough. Our press was completely off. Yeah, I would have I would have been biting my nails if Casemiro was taken off in that situation because those those are the situations where he's useful. Not so much when the issue is giving the ball away against the press. Yeah. Um, David Bear asks us: Would y'all ever consider making a managing Madrid app? I feel like people would enjoy having it. Um, I would totally consider this if I knew how to make an app. (laughs) (laughs) If you want to, if you want to make, if you know, or want to make an app for us, um, I don't think that we can do it through Espionation, but we could probably make a, well, not problem. We could certainly make a Managing Madrid podcast app. Um, that's a good idea. Yeah, dude, if you wanted to make that. I mean, you can. I don't know anything about it. I made the original Managing Madrid website on uh, uh, Blogspot. <laughs> if you want to have a, that's like the extent of my like computer knowledge is Blogspot. Maybe like I do WordPress um, and uh, Squarespace, but that's it. I don't. I don't know. How, I like HTML code. I know, but I don't know anything about how to make an app. So if you want to make an app. Or want to let us know someone who wants to make an app for us? Um, hit us up. That's that's a cool idea. I just can't. Uh, all right, Esther Hariri asks us: um, Since Casemiro is being such a liability offensively and not conducive to Lopetegui's scheme, what do you guys think about playing him as a defense, a defender instead of as a center uh, CDM? We need to uh, have we have to a need to fill in the defender position, and he played well there. Before, much like Barca did with Mascherano. Yeah, so I don't know if I, I don't know if he, I agree that he played well there before. I think there was yeah, literally that's... one game where he did, and every other time it was an utter disaster. Yeah, I mean, I like remember the, him getting the, owned by Sevilla. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, like theoretically, you think it makes sense, but he just think like Gareth forward makes sense. They just don't understand how to play there, which which is fine because those aren't the positions. I think a huge issue we saw with Casemiro as a defensive midfielder, he he's very aggressive and he has the role to be aggressive. He has defenders behind him. He knows exactly how to be aggressive, you know, exactly what places to be aggressive. He knows what kind of defensive runs to make. But as a center back, he really struggles between the conundrum of, of sitting off an attacking player or, or, or moving forward to challenge him. And you'll see that plague him all the time when he's playing as a center back and at least fouls. And then on the ball, ironically, he has more of a responsibility to pass than he does a defensive midfielder because you can't really hide him. They can't send a center back all the way up the to be yeah. of the build-up phase. So he had more role with Bonnie. He got exposed almost every single time he played in that position, like giving the ball away in addition to not understanding like how how to use his aggression. So I I don't really think it would be the greatest idea actually. Um I, I think when we think of defense defenders, we and, and especially in a positional play system, we start have to, we have to start understanding them as being almost like like central midfielders just playing deeper like if you yeah. think about the way pep guardiola uses john stones john stone's biggest responsibility is to pass the ball 
And I mentioned that earlier in the podcast, how the biggest responsibility for Nacho and Ramos was to do the same. So if Casemiro is going to find a really good role here, it is going to be in midfield, whether it's going to be as kind of like a, a pseudo defensive midfielder one that's not really the defensive midfielder in possession, but is when we don't have it. I think that's probably yeah. what's going to happen, but but it's not it's not going to be in defense. And I and I hope Lopetegui doesn't try him there. I also I also wonder. Um... Because the premise, one of the premises of the question is that he's not conducive to Lopetegui's scheme. But we've been saying that, I mean, he actually became Casemiro under Lopetegui. Like, that actually was Lopetegui's uh, team that he played for So uh, when he was coming up. Uh, so I, I actually am not sure I buy it. We just haven't seen that, like, enough of Casemiro in Lopetegui's this Real Madrid scheme to buy, to know whether he is conducive to the the the, the team Lopetegui wants to build, and I, I actually think that we will, we will see that. And I, I'm just I'm not sure I buy the premise. I'm it's funny because I was like I still feel like Casemiro is has this issue as um you know in build up and and whatnot that I'm I'm not super excited about, but. I I also think that he there's no reason to think that he that that we can't build a scheme that that allows for a Casemiro to play there and and I I think Lovatagi is looking to to include him long term. I just think that like we what we've seen recently is that Casemiro's not quite up to form yet. He he wasn't I mean he literally was gassed, which we didn't we don't see very much from him, but he was gassed in that Atletico Madrid game. He he just couldn't run that much. I think that's why that's why they yanked him. I mean, I think I think that's a huge point. Casemiro isn't on form. I don't think he looked particularly good this game. He's not match fit yet, so it's hard to judge. I I think the premise is viable because I do think playing in the Portuguese league is an entirely different thing than playing um, in in La Liga with Real Madrid. Because I think William Carvalho, who I think actually I I think I like him better on the ball than I do Casemiro, but I don't think he's particularly press resistant. Doesn't really get exposed in the Portuguese league. When, when he plays that way because it's just different. It's 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 not the same quality. Teams don't play with the same tactical cohesion sometimes. So I, I, I think there is room to question whether Casemiro fits into a system that, you know, dogmatically builds out from the back, which needs the defensive midfielder to come deep. But your point, Gabe, about him being a crucial part of Lopetegui's portal because Casemiro was crucial, arguably the most important player that gives me hope that Lopetegui will find a way because on the face of it, it just doesn't seem like Casemiro jives with the system. Mm. Um, but yeah. we, we we have to give it time. Like it, We really don't know. We haven't seen enough from Casemiro at his best to be able to judge. We haven't seen too much of Lopetegui's tactical tweaks. It's We, we just have to wait and see. Yeah. Um, all right, last question is from our friend... Um, Christopher McCormick, Chris, um, Chris, come on the show. We would love to have you. Your rule, um, and uh, Chris has a great Twitter account, and he writes for um, the Real Champs, which is a great blog. Also, you should follow Chris's work. Um, he says um, a lot of the reaction to Madrid's loss is that it will end uh, or will open up Ebenezer Perez's dusty purse, <laughs> and we will see Madrid splash some cash before the end of the transfer window. Having not yet gotten used to the, this new conservative Perez, I ain't buying it. 
My question is, is there any real glaring and affordable transfer that we that could improve the squad and that the club are ignoring? And if not, why are we still kidding ourselves that uh, into thinking that there are lack, lack of spending is all choice? I would I think this is a great point. Um, there, there is one. I mean, I think um, Mariano probably could be had for a relatively easy, like not overwhelming amount of money, and uh, he probably is the type that would um, flip out and and you know <laughs> uh, uh, agitate to get to Real Madrid. So I yeah. bet he could be had. Mariano, I think already on social media, like he quote, I think he quote tweeted, I think it was on Twitter, he quote tweeted. Yeah. A rumor saying Real Madrid want him, and he's like, "Well, why not?" or something like, like how that. How could you said, say no? Right? <laughs> yeah. So I mean, I think I think he wants to come back. I think the issue is that he was a really big piece of of, of his of, of his team in France, and so they might not be too keen on selling him. And he, it's only his first year there, so they may have stronger bargaining power. But we'll see. We also I I haven't seen much after that report saying ruling going for it. Yeah. I think I think maybe Rodrigo. I'm not as high on on this guy as some other people like Keon either, Keon are, but as a backup striker, I think he's decent. I, he's not my like first, second, third choice, but like he I I don't think it hurt. I, I definitely think Yo, he'll help, and I he, think he's available. Here's my hot take. I actually think the Madrid need to worry about being seen as the Spanish only Spanish team, and if they go get another young Spanish player. I think there is a legitimate worry that people like Kovacic are going to say, well, why? Like, this is a team that uh, they're building it just around these young Spanish players, and I'm going to have a built-in hierarchy that I'm going to have to get around in order to play. And I know that that's – it's 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 a it's – I know this is a little bit out there, but I think that they do have to worry about going out and getting all of these, like, the same era of Spanish talent. Uh and also, I'm not. I don't know. I actually am not as high on Borja Mayoral as a lot of people are either. So I, I think that a, going and getting Rodrigo even would be a big upgrade. But Mayoral or Mariano would be the guy I would want to bring in to that position. Uh, I would also think that getting maybe an older. Um, I remember Madrid went out and got like Raúl Albiol back in the day just to to be this kind of second or third uh, backup. That might be a good play. Edin Dzeko, baby. I don't know if he's available. <laughs> I don't know if he's available at all. Didn't he just if... change teams this summer? No, I think he's still with. Is is he still not? Is he not still with Roma? Oh yeah, oh, I think so. It would be a big oversight if I if I no. Missed his... I think that's right. I think he went. He was at Napoli, right? No, he was. He was. <laughs> he was with some other club. He wasn't Napoli. He was with some other club before that. <laughs> Before being after being with um, City, but the guy, the dude is a boss. You should have seen the the goal he scored recently. I mean, it's not just that that excites me. It's just I think he's a top five player in the yeah. world when it comes to hold up play. His goal scoring record is is, yeah, is quite he is strong. Really good. I mean, I don't know if he, I don't know if it's realistic at all, but I I think we should at least inquire because I think he's the exact type of stopgap striker that could compete legitimately compete with Benzema and offer something different and, and offer a lot of goals. So like That's a good that, that would be the ideal, probably not happening, most likely not happening, but that is, that is something that intrigues me. I think, I think the dude is really underrated. I think, I think you guys, if, if, if you're not really aware of how he's played, check out, check out some of his games. Check I was thinking of Homshik. That was my issue. That's my bad. Yeah. Jekyll yeah, is really good. He was at, yeah, sorry. Yes. That he was at Roma. Go check him out. Interesting. 
I really like that idea, actually. Um, I was going to say that I'm a little surprised that Bar- that Madrid – I know that this is a strange one, but I actually think that my my belief was that um, Yeri Mina could have been had for a pretty low amount of money, and that actually would have um, filled a need I think Madrid has as another kind of center back. Uh, uh, and, it, and, and I think he actually – he could – use and he he seems to have some of the tools to get better at his position and you know he ended up moving to, he did end up moving to um to Everton right so yeah, I think I mean, that's right and I know that people don't think he was like he was great at Barcelona but I think that he showed a fair amount during the World Cup that that led me to believe that he he actually does have it so I I actually think Madrid could have gone out and gotten him. <laughs> that would have been an interesting addition, especially because the Barca to Madrid move is so rare nowadays. Yeah, I mean, I I mean I I side more with the people that that aren't that impressed with him, but <laughs> but I I think he would have been reasonable for like what would have essentially been like fourth or fifth yeah. choice. Um, yeah, I, I honestly have no idea about. This but whatever. This happened. is just this is just making up um, nonsense of this like <coughs> yeah. bullshit at this point because he's I, gone and there's no chance at this point. I, so I don't think we're getting a center back because I haven't seen anything whatsoever yeah. linking us. It seems to only be a backup striker, which seems like the most likely. Yeah. Um, yeah. So. Yeah. All right, guys. This was fun. Ohm, great talking to you, man. Um, we will be back this uh, midweek show. I'm not sure yet if I will be back. Um, and we will be back. Uh, Keon will either have something or um, we will be back as a group uh, to talk about, to break down the uh, the midweek moves. Um, so until then, um, uh, Ala Madrid. Ala Madrid. Home invasion was persuasive. Was persuasive. Was persuasive. From nine to five, I know it's vacant. Your bitch. Your bitch. Dreams of living life like rappers do. Like rappers do. Like rappers. Back when condom rappers wasn't cool. They wasn't cool. They wasn't. I fucked Shireen and went to tell my bros. Tell my bros. Then us Shireen and let it burn came on. That burn came on. That burn came on. I saw Saul and Nata rhyming. Your bitch. Your bitch. Park the car then we start rhyming. Your bitch. Your bitch. The only thing we had to free our mind. Free our mind. Then freeze that verse when we see dollar signs. See dollar signs. See dollar you looking like an easy come up, yeah, bitch. Yeah, bitch. A silver yeah, bitch. spoon, I know you come from, yeah, bitch. Yeah, bitch. And that's yeah, a lifestyle that we never knew. We never knew. We never go knew. at a revving for the revenue. Hey, go Holly Berry or Hallelujah. Pick your poison, tell me what you do. Everybody go respect the shooter. But the one in front of the gun lives forever. Front of the gun forever. And I've been hustling all day. This away, that away. Through canals and alleyways. Just to say, money trees is the perfect place for shading. That's just how I feel. Nah. Nah. Eight dollar might just fuck your main bitch. That's just how I feel. Nah. Eight dollar might say fuck the niggas that you game with. That's just how I feel. Nah. Nah. Hey, dollar might just make that lane switch. That's just how I feel. Nah. Hey, dollar might turn to a million and we all rich. That's just how I feel. Dreams of living life like rappers do. Like rappers do. Like Bump that new E40 at the school. Way at the school. Way at the school. You know, big ballin' with my homies. My homies. Bro, Stevens had us thinking rational. Thinking rational. That's right.
Back to reality, we poor, yeah, bitch. Yeah, bitch. Ain't nothing yeah, casualty at war, yeah, bitch. Yeah, bitch. Two bullets yeah, bitch. in my uncle Tony head. My Tony head, my Tony. He said one day I'll be on tour, yeah, bitch. Yeah, bitch. That Louis yeah, Burgers never be the same. Won't be the same, won't be the Hey Louis Belder never ease that pain. Won't ease that pain, won't ease But I'ma purchase when that day is jerking. That day is jerking. Pull off at churches with Pirelli skirting. Pirelli skirting. Gang signs out the window, yeah, bitch. Yeah, bitch. Hoping all of them offend you, yeah, bitch. Yeah, bitch. They say your hood is a pot of gold. A pot of gold. And we go crash it when nobody's home. Holly Berry or Holly Blue. Pick your poison, tell me what you do. On Thanksgiving, my homeboy just domed a nigga. I just hope the Lord forgive him. Pots with cocaine residue. Every day I'm hustling. What else is a thug to do when you eat cheese from the government? Gotta put five for my daughter and them. Get the fuck up out my way, bitch. Got that drum and I got them bands just like a parade, bitch. Drop that work up in the bushes. Hope them boys don't see my stash. If they do tell the truth, this the last time you might see my ass. From the gardens where the grass ain't cut, them serpents lurking blood. Bitches selling pussy, niggas selling drugs. But it's all good Broken promises Still you're watching Tell you what time it is Take your J's And tell you to kick it Where a falaka is In the streets With a heater Under my dungarees Dreams of me Getting shaded Under a money tree Pick your poison Tell me what you Domino's no more. Just bring the car back. Did somebody say Domino's? 
Introducing the amazing iPhone XS you'll love on T-Mobile, the most loved in wireless. It's the perfect way to stay connected to those you heart most. Fall in love with iPhone XS on T-Mobile. And right now, trade in an eligible iPhone and you'll save $300. Visit a store or call 1-800-T-MOBILE. If you cancel service, remaining balance is due. Qualifying service and finance agreements required. $279.99 down plus $30 per month times 24. Full price $999.99. 0% APR for well-qualified buyers plus tax on full price. Allow eight weeks for rebate. Introducing the amazing iPhone XS you'll love on T-Mobile, the most loved in wireless. It's the perfect way to stay connected to those you heart most. Fall in love with iPhone XS on T-Mobile. And right now, trade in an eligible iPhone and you'll save $300. Visit a store or call 1-800-T-MOBILE. If you cancel service, remaining balance is due. Qualifying service and finance agreements required. $279.99 down plus $30 per month times 24. Full price $999.99. 0% APR for well-qualified buyers plus tax on full price. Allow eight weeks for rebate.